Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's Bashamania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashamania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And welcome back to the Bashamania podcast. I am your host, Justin Bash, and I'm excited for today's episode as we have my high school wrestling coach, the legendary Bill Jackato, coming on the podcast. I tweeted about it, but we ran into each other last week at the barbershop. And once I found out he listened to the show, I just had to bring him on. So this show is presented to you by our friends at Attack. Yes, that Attack. While we've been talking about them for a while on this podcast, you're starting to see what we've been talking about. Not only did they just launch an insanely awesome version two of their app, but the attack preseason wrestling showdown is in play and I'm already having fun watching it progress. I don't know about you guys. If you didn't catch it last week from now until November 30th, 10 of the nation's top college wrestlers will battle it out to see who will outwork the rest and be crowned the attack showdown champion from David Carr and Braxton Amos to Trent Hidley and real woods. They've got some of the absolute best college wrestlers in the country competing to earn some cash. Yes. Some cash. I put an emphasis on that because I love that these wrestlers are taking advantage of NIL, and I love that Attack is putting money back into athletes' pockets. Truly the best of both worlds here. So be sure to follow Attack and watch to see who's winning and who's climbing that leaderboard to earn a nice preseason payday. They're Attack, A-T-A-C, dot app, A-P-P, on social, and they're Attack, A-T-A-C, in the Apple App Store. And again, version two of the app just launched. It's an entire new interface. It's awesome. You're definitely going to love it. Go and download it. Follow them. See what they're all about. Guys, welcome back to Bashmania. Today, it's truly an honor to have somebody who I think shaped much of my life. I was telling my wife, my coach, Bill Jackato, you were technically my coach for four years, but really you were my gym teacher in seventh and eighth, which is the reason I even wrestled. So a lot to digest here. First of all, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing good now. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty to get started. But and I tried to get out early. I tried to get on it early. I talked to my daughter. I said, I'm going to get it on a few minutes early. Then I thought, you know, you're a busy man. I thought maybe you're on a phone call. <laughs> you're operating your business. And I said, I was patient, patient. I'm, I'm clicking it off. I'm clicking it on. Finally, <laughs> get it on. Yeah. I, it's okay. I was doing the same thing. I was like, look it, I will wait all day if I have to, because he's obviously busy. So, so last week I ran into the barber shop and I'm like, he maybe doesn't even remember who I am. I sucked. I was a terrible wrestler, but then you told me right away, obviously you're like, Justin, come here. And I'm like, oh, okay. But then you started telling me you listened to the podcast, which I'm curious. When did you start listening to this podcast? Oh, probably about six months ago. Maybe I, I, you know, I had some conversations with Mr. Galena about it, and I knew you had a nice business going. And then the podcast came came into play, and I, 
found so many interesting things about, you know, listening to these different guys. Like just Jordan Oliver, the one day when he's here, here's a guy that makes the Olympic team. And now he's seeking out new knowledge because he has to get a new angle. He doesn't want to cut the weight anymore. He wants to stay up and he's trying to find new ways to win and to, and to score points early. So, I mean, these things are very relevant to guys that wrestle or coach, whatever, because you want to listen to people's struggles. Yeah. We operate three, three tenants and the tenants are endure what you must accomplish what you can and embrace the struggle. Those are the, that's the path every wrestler has to follow. Yeah. And again, endure what you must accomplish what you can and embrace the struggle. If a guy just operates on that path, you know, he, he can fall down and get up again. Yeah. And you know, I always say this, but on this podcast, especially, I always give credit to my success in business to my pastor, Dave Tommaso, a really good friend of mine, obviously everything God does and really what wrestling taught me. Like I was never a good wrestler, but it taught me so much about diligence. And, you know, Dan Gable obviously said when you wrestle everything else in life is easy, something you regurgitated said a lot. And I'm curious for you, you were very good, still are at developing, not just great athletes, but great people, right? Great guys. How much has that been a focus of yours where you obviously are part of winning programs, endless 30 something plus winning teams, but you're not just developing great athletes. You're developing great people. How much was that a focus of yours? Well, I'm a big believer in building relationships. You know, you do it in business, you do it with your team. And once you got the relationship, truly have the relationship, the guy will lay down in traffic for you. Yeah. And likewise. And when you build a relationship, you, you learn more about the person. You find out more ways to, to motivate that person. You know, you, you live for the winning and you, and, you, and you die for their loss. And that's how it gets. And that's how it was at Spencer Port. And I would like to retract your statement. You were not a bad wrestler. You were in a very deep state championship team. And if they had some additional things like varsity B and the additional sectional, uh, admissions for guys it'd be a whole different story for you so you're a victim of the times and the depth of our team so i i, I refuse to, to, to do that because we don't put out bad wrestlers okay? no i i agree with that you're right you're right and i remember i remember you telling me um back then i don't know if you remember it but i drove with you in the jeep to the canadagua duel and i remember oh, yeah. you, i remember you saying like Bosh, you're an idiot if you think that you wouldn't be starting in any other team. You True. just have guys right in front of you, Dan Tommaso, others that are so good. And you're seeing it now at schools like Penn State and others where there's such a good kid starting and the kid behind them would be starting anywhere else. But it truly is a product of depth. And for me, it was never one of those things where I never felt um, – I never felt like sorry for myself, like, oh, I want to go somewhere else. I'll start or, you know, I would it for me being a part of that program w was so crucial. And I mean, we were state champions and, and that was just to be a part of that. When you have a training partner, that's really good. That's everything. But for you, you know, what's your thought process when you have that depth and you're looking at someone like me or someone else who maybe has talent, skill, whatever, but you definitely like I never felt a single ounce of a lack of attention 
from what you gave someone who was starting or me or anybody else. How do you balance that where you obviously want to win, but to you, you never played favorites with, well, I'm giving this guy more attention because he's starting or like you never played favorites. You just gave everybody attention regardless of how important somebody was to winning. Well, you see a guy come to the room and put his time in. The respect is there immediately. And I respect it. My last year when I left Spencerport uh, in 09, the proudest moment I had was all 38 kids that were returning would have a winning record. Wow. And that meant a lot, and that meant a lot to me and a lot to the program. You develop every single kid because every single kid helps the next kid. It's the next man up principle. Yep. And in, to focus on just four or five guys, I mean, that would really do the room of disjustice. You love them all. It's like your children. I mean, you, you, these guys are grinding every day. You know, they're embracing the struggle, as I said, and you respect it. And that kid that you coach and you prepare may, in a snap of the finger, be in that lineup in a big-time duel. Yep. And that was always my thought process. You know, get them deep and get them good, man. Get them good early. Yep. Yeah, and it's funny because – you know, I never thought about it back then, but when you watch what you're a part of, um, Andy Bernard said it on The Office, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days when you're in them. And I think about that now, thinking about our program and, you know, wrestling there from 01 to 04, like one of the best groups of four years ever. And I know for me, I look back and think what an important moment in development for me, camaraderie. I don't think I've ever been a part of something and I don't know I'll ever be a part of something again where you have such camaraderie and as cliche as it is, you know, everybody says like, it's not about the destination, but the journey. Did you ever think about that? Like while you were coaching, while we were having the success to embrace that journey? Cause you seemed like you, you never wanted too much credit. You were very focused on like, we're not done yet. There's more to go. But did you ever realize like how much we were doing at Spencerport or how much you were doing? I'll be honest with you, Justin. I was always in a state of uneasiness for 365 days a year. I knew I had to constantly look to improve the program. Even after you left, I started taking these kids down to New Jersey, yep. wrestling 12 duels, taking them back down again to wrestle against the club teams and get beat up. Also, we can transition kids from JV to varsity. So I was more caught up with getting separation with our opponents or climbing above them. And I never really, really would smell the roses. It was just, to me, it was like bad luck. I didn't, over, I never over-celebrated anything. And during that time period, those four years, we were state champs three times, 01, 02, and 04. And I just never got retrospect on it. I never said, yeah, oh, God, I made it. I never right. did, ever did, ever. Not do, once. You, do you look back now and wish you would have like smelled the roses more? No, because maybe I wouldn't have been dri driving myself more. Yeah. See, back in 1987, I got the biggest break in my life. I, I started working at University of Michigan. I worked at Michigan State in 86 with a friend. He recommended for 87, and it was a tremendous teaching schedule and format. And I spent 21 years there. And I was three weeks of summer, and I was learning and learning and learning and being around really good people. And my focus was to get better. So when I brought it back home, I was always excited about starting the season, you know, about, about uh, teaching progressions and what's important, what's the syllabus. I got caught up with what was going on every single day and 
really, it was just like a deep breath after it was over, you know, it maybe a big match. And then I got about maybe an hour or two worth of, you know, you know, exhilaration or happiness. And then you go, oh, my God, we got another big thing coming up. So I was a basket coach. Yeah. I really was. No, I, I know because I, I think the same thing. Like, even back then, it, it was never about, okay, we did it. We were state champs. It was, you know, okay, be a state champ individually or do it again next year. Um, it was always about the next thing. I think that's a lot of sports. And I'm curious, too. Like, obviously, I mean, three state championship teams in four years, your success is just, you know, legendary. What do you think has led to so much of your success as a coach? Getting better. I, you know, a professor in college one time told me that the two greatest influences on your life are the books you read and the people you meet. And I agree 100%. As I said, I met great people. I was at University of Michigan, and the three guys I worked with were all national coaches of the year. Mike Pultz from Illinois, Gus D'Augustino from uh, Pennsylvania, and Mark Hall from uh, Michigan. And then in 2008, I'm the national coach of the year. And that's the influence you have. In Gladwell's book, Outliers, it's not just the 10,000 hours you put in. It's the mentorship. Yeah. And you've got to learn. you got to learn from people. It's not just time in. It's time in learning. And I think that was the thing that changed me the most is having my eyes and ears open, trying to get better. Maybe my type A personality of, of worrying all the time, which I did about, again, every guy making the contribution, et cetera, et cetera. You are what you are. You know, like Popeye said, I am what I am, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because this is a sport that's always looking for coaches. There's a lot of small programs. There's a lot of needs. And I overhear a lot in the wrestling community, people who maybe don't know if they would be a good coach or if they should help or when they should just maybe stand back and be like, okay, this isn't for me. What would you say to someone who's like maybe on the fence of coaching or getting involved with the program? Do you think there's a certain level of criteria, success, whatever it may be that might make someone a better coach than another? Well, when I first got done in 2009, I got all these off first to do these coaches clinics everybody wants to know what we did or what we're doing yeah. and i would have these neophyte coaches in the audience and look if you have a will and you have an interest and i tell them i said you're here to get new information but you're also been here to be reinforced what you do know yeah. and that's as exhilarating as anything so it's it look it's small steps like the stoic said small steps it becomes a big step and you got to chip away. I did in my life. I chipped away and tried to get better. We need coaches. And most of these guys that come into the game now are former wrestlers of their school, maybe, maybe six, seven years removed from high school, and the program is starting to die, and they're just trying to get in there and help. And God bless them for it. God bless them. You know, they're, they're, they're taking on something that's very difficult, yeah. managing people, teaching stuff, weight cutting, uh, skin infections, you know, academics, there's so many things. So I just told them in the audience, I'm happy to have you here, guys. Just keep plugging away. So yeah, we that, want them and we need them. Yeah, and, and, and I said, too, I remember talking to somebody one day. Somebody told me, get involved more. And I'm like, look, for now, there's a lot of different ways I'm involved. Who's to say when we have kids, we're having a boy in January, if he starts wrestling, maybe I'll sure. get involved on the coaching level. But it, it's always an interesting conversation. Um what do you think has been the most rewarding part for you? I mean, you've had such an insane career, so spanning so much time. What do you think the most rewarding parts have been? 
Well, obviously you want championship teams. That's, that's something that's rewarding, but seeing kids successful beyond um, high school, it's very rewarding. Like yourself, we've had kids, we had a guy, Sorrell Gizendana was a state champ in 93. That's a very wealthy man. Now he's, he's a real estate developer and he's on boards of hospitals out in California. Michael Presti was a state champion for me in um, 86. He's a builder. He does extremely well. So there's a lot of little things. You, you want success. You want to see a kid have that moment where, God, all that work paid off. And you also like to see people beyond their careers. Like when I saw you in the barbershop, boom, this guy's successful. He's, he's done great things. It makes you feel good that you knew him. And if you had any influence whatsoever, yeah. that's great. So there's a combination. It is, it, it's, it's in their careers and it's out of their careers. You know, it's yeah. not a business where you make them a lot of money, but God, you, you, you love to see people succeed. That's all. Yeah, and, and I might not have been your most successful wrestler, but I do want to be one of your most successful alumni. So when you mentioned You're on your way, my friend. You're on your way. Daniel Lepresti Bash. Um, you know, another thing too that's interesting for me, I think of so many moments. Me, Dan Tommaso has become a super, super close friend of mine. And we always think about different little moments throughout our high school careers. And and, and not much of it's actual matches. It's stuff that happened in the room. It's you making fun of Terenzi. It's the Woodward brothers <laughs> fighting. It's like there's so many different nuances of our team. I'm curious for you if there's things that stick out from that time period. And I'm also curious how I'm a very, um, I get very attached easily. So I feel like if I was a coach and I spend four years with you and now it's like, all right, Justin, thank you for being a part of this program. Last four years, you've been a student athlete of mine for six years. See ya. That would be hard for me. Like transitioning to the next, the next group of kids and the next team. Has that been difficult or easy for you? Well, I don't think it's been difficult. I mean, you miss kids that yeah. believe that have great influences on the room. I mean, yeah. uh, we've had some great kids. And, and as I said to you, you have such a respect for all the guys that are knocking heads in the room yep. and uh it's a family atmosphere like i said i love my guys and i think they knew it and um i love their efforts and it, it to me it's it, it's that type of deal and i don't ever get i'm never reflective about and i say this honestly you know about winning a state title sure. it, it was the process that got us there that i don't forget because wrestling provides a template in your life you are working on your template. It's a compass. It gives you direction and you know all the work that's involved with it, the up and down, like I said, embracing the struggle, you know, enduring what you must. And once that template's in your body and in your mind, the, the path is, is open for it. Yeah. So many kids that are outside the sport, they don't understand. I remember being around Christmas Eve, guys looking at the clock, they want to leave school, you know, we're here. But now guys, those guys are civilians. Yep. We're the real guys. Yeah. In society, yeah. we're the combat athletes. We're the guys who are getting it done. Anybody can do what they're doing. Yep. So the mentality you want to create. And I remember you saying that like on Saturday mornings. I remember Saturday morning practices would suck. But by 9, 10 a.m., I remember you saying vividly, you've just done more in the last two hours than most people will do all freaking day. 
True. And, and it's, that's the thing that you, you create in a guy, in a mind. Yeah. If you're starting a business, especially in the beginning, and you know it, seven days a week. Yeah. And then you sleep and you're waking up. This is, this is waking you up. That's what you should do to me. Yeah. I'd wake up. I remember going home, calling a kid at eight o'clock at night. After I left him for two hours, I was a little concerned. This kid, Justin Melia, who's yeah. since deceased. Cause he was, he was very temperamental kid. And my wife goes, you just saw him. I go, I don't know. I, I feel something's going on with him. Yeah. So it doesn't, you know, it's like you with a client. I got to get back to this guy. I want to make sure that we, this, there was no misinterpretation on anything. So I said that, Justin, once that template is in your mind, yeah. it's over. You can yeah. kick anyone's butt in, in business or anything else. Because the work ethic is there. You know it never ends. I know the diligence and the dedication. and the. I, I was just telling my wife last <laughs> night we were having a conversation about doing things we don't want to do when we don't want to do them. And obviously wrestling plays a big part in that. There's, there's, I, I, remember, I can't remember if it was how you said it. It was like along the lines of like, there's only going to be like four days a year you really want to go to practice. Right. All the other days, you're there out of discipline, out of regimen, out of you have to be there. You can't just want to be there and want to go. It's never going to be successful. Justin, you have a great memory because I did say that all the time. I would say there's only couple, four or five days a year where you're full of piss and vinegar and you're ready to go and everything is great. Everything's operating, your mind, your body. Right. The rest of the time you're banged up, you're caught in weight. You know, you maybe you've taken a loss or two where you're struggling through it and you have to fight through those days. Yep. Those are the important days. And it's absolutely true. Great memory. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I've been told I have a good memory, but I, I'm telling you that the impact you had on me and others, it's like, it's things that resonate. And I think you have a very good way of saying something that just, it resonates when you don't want to be there and you say that, and then like maybe one week later, you just wake up full of piss and vinegar and feel good. You want to be right. there. You want to bash heads. You want to throw people around. Um, so it sticks with you, I think, when you have that. And I'm curious, I kind of went on a tangent, but are there times from that group, 01, 02, 03, 04, that really stick out? Because there's just so many to me that's like, when I think of the Woodwards literally almost killing each other before practice, <laughs> like there's just so many things. Well, it was a very successful group of guys, a very motivated group of guys. Uh, there were some characters in there. Nick Terenzi was a character. He was an easy target. And he, he was a good he was a good sport about it. But I used a lot of material on, on Nick alone. So, you Mike, know, too. Both of them. So yeah, well, Mike was, he was, yeah, he was, they were, they were characters, but they were very successful wrestlers. They were very dedicated to the program. You know, it's just, it's hard to describe what I remembered and what I didn't yep. um, because you can say it's the, the matches. Yeah. I, re I remember them, but there was a lot of laughs. Yeah. There was uh, some moments where I went psychotic. I know that because, we, <laughs> because you know, I, I would tell them don't confuse activity for achievement. We hear the bang heads and get better. Yep. Just getting that 1% better every day. And I was very focused on practice. I just remember practice was sacrosanct. Yep. You came in there, you drill right. We don't practice mistakes. We get things done. And then it was a family after that. I always would, it would, everything would be, once I got to the locker room, I'd forget. And I start bantering around, like getting on guys' cases, being a wise ass and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and that was the best. And I tell people that it feels like it really looking back, I didn't wrestle in college, so I can't say this for sure, but it did have that like college team like vibe. It was like, there was more of a mature program than 
high schoolers. I look at high schoolers now that I'm in my 30s and I look at 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th graders and I'm thinking, no, we were like five years older. <laughs> it seemed well, like. <laughs> well, it was, I would go in the locker room before practice because I wanted the pulse of the team. I just want to get a feeling about them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would, my job was to read body language. All right, man, these guys are a little bit off today. I might have to make a slight adjustment on this or that, or I start. I got to start cracking the whip. I got to start doing that. And then afterwards, you you don't want to be negative. You get in the locker room, as I said, you start bantering around. We got to get these guys restarted for the next day. You know, guys, got to bring it tomorrow. I'm telling you right now, we need this, that, and the other thing. And you make a joke or two, and you have a laugh or two. And it's just you you. Like people would say, I get into the lock, I get into the room, I'm like Lucifer. And then I, I my, my, my personality changes when they leave the room. Yeah. It was like two different personalities. But I just wanted them to kind of know at the end of the day, I still love them, man. Hey, look, we're, we're all in it together. No. It was always that bond, spend support against the world. Yeah. And, and it, it was never a, like... I, I can speak for myself, obviously, and a lot of teammates, but it was never of like, oh, this guy's a jerk because we felt the love. You're a legend, everybody locally. It was like, it was more fear than it was like, oh, he's just a jerk. Like we knew what you were doing. And I think the laughter after it, it really, even before, like I was, I just saw a picture pop up on my Facebook from a couple of years ago where me, Cal Sanderson, David Taylor, and um, Casey Cunningham are sitting against the wall after practice, just sitting there, the shoes come off. And I'm like, these are the moments for me that were some of the absolute most memorable in my career where it's like, it's the time before practice or after practice when you're sitting against the wall. And I just like, I, you don't remember the feeling necessarily drilling a double leg 30 times, but you remember the locker room moments. You remember the bus moments. You remember the sitting against the wall. And that's what it was like before and after practice. It was just, it was something different. It was like a college uh, atmosphere. It wasn't like a high school program, especially looking back now at how young some of these high schoolers seem. And I'm like, now nah, we were older. <laughs> well, yeah, as you said, I, I think, well, it's almost 20 years removed. Yep. Or as you know, yeah, I guess it is 20 years removed. But we had a mature program in the sense that, as I said, it was us against the world. We were always the favorites. Uh, people wanted to knock us down. And it wasn't just locally, it was around the state. Yep. And our kids had that thought process of readiness that we got to be ready to go. And we this is the expectation of the program. They're carrying the water right now. So you guys had a lot of heat on you. I don't care if it was JV, varsity. When you went to tournaments, you, you were expected to win. And yep. it, it, it matures you a little bit faster than a program that kind of can just dance around and say, we, well, we were eight and five and not, not to, 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 to knock them. No, but when I get you gotta, when yep. you got to be 15 and 0 every year and you got to compete for the state title, it matures your room. It gets yep. your room. Everybody's on edge. I'm on edge. We got to get this done. So I said, there were no bad wrestlers in our room. We, everybody was elevated. Yep. You know, there were kids that started and they didn't start. Doesn't mean they weren't, they were bad wrestlers. As I yep. said, my greatest thrill was when I left all 38 had winning records. That's what, that was the program's mantra. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. So that's what I built my life on. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, that's all I got to say on it. 
And, you know, you did have such a successful 30 plus years at high school. And I've asked a lot of athletes on this podcast about transitioning from high school to college as an athlete for you. What was it like going from such a successful high school program to coaching at Brockport and being around the college level? Well, at first I made some assumptions that these kids know what they're doing. And then I figured out, <laughs> Can't do and, that. I, and, then, and then I figured out they didn't, they didn't know how to do a hip heist. They didn't know how to whizzer. Uh, some of these kids were self-made men. They, they were in poor programs. They lived in the club area. Yep. They was, they had some athletic ability and were successful. I, I teach now at Rockport and, and practice exactly the way I did it at Spencerport. The same teaching progressions, the same emphasis, the five tools, offensive takedowns, defensive takedowns, bottom, ride, turn. That's how we do business there. I'm a stickler. I always say when I practice mistakes and I tell them your whole career is going to be on based on how well you finish a takedown. If you can't get it done, you're not going to get it done. So my emphasis is to tell them what wins. And we're not going to fool around with garbage stuff because they come in with garbage stuff. Yeah. So exactly like Spence, but I'm like, the practice is almost the same. We open up with a hip heist. I, I'm going to have to come soon. <laughs> Check, come to any practice you want. The same verbiage is used. The same screaming <laughs> is used. The same threats of life is used. Yeah, I the can't wait. Is used. And like, so right now you're interim head coach. Is this something you're going to pursue? You think for a while staying on as head coach there? Well, we had a situation with NCAA um, probation, so there was a changing guard, and uh, I can't get into the weeds on it, but yep. um, I was asked then, because of the transition, it'll be the easiest to come in as an interim. Uh, this isn't really what I wanted to be or thought I would be in my life at age 69 as a head coach. I'm one of the oldest in the country now. Golly. So, uh, I, you know what, Justin? I have the energy. I have the drive. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know how long it's going to last in a year, but I don't feel like I feel like I'm going into maybe my 10th or 15th year as a high school coach. I, I didn't, I'm not going to say I'm going to coach the following year or the year after that, but you know, I know what it entails. Yep. I'm up for the fight. That's all I can tell you. And uh, if at the end of the year, somehow I get this uh, resurrection of, of thought process, I want to stick around for five more. If they want me, maybe I will. If not, I'll ride into the sunset. Which is what you've always said you were going to do. <laughs> you've been saying yeah. for 20 have, years. <laughs> hey, I met this man outside of Barnes & Noble, uh, Coach Murray. He's a good friend of mine now. And he, we just had a bumping conversation. I was done with my career there. I didn't know what I was going to do. And he said, why don't you just come in the room a couple of days? So I said, ah, a couple of weeks went by. He gave me a call, went in the room. The next year, he threw a contract at me. All right. And then the, the next the two years later, I was promoted to associate head coach. And the same thing happens. You start to develop relationships yeah. with kids. You start to, to try to work and make the program better. And, you know, I, I was, you know, responsible for schedule. I'm responsible for the practice development. I was responsible for the budget. So my, my responsibility increased, increased. And again, you got kids on the team now. I mean, I really enjoy them. They're a lot like Spencer Board kids. Yeah. So now you want to see them through. You want to hope and get the kid to where he wants to be. He wants to be a national champion. You know, and then I bring my old buddy and Joe Galena and suck the blood out of him. You know, he's, he's my <laughs> former assistant. I give him a call. All right, now you're the director of our wrestling operations because I know I can count on him. He's a yeah. good man. And it's funny you say that too, because like back then, it's funny. We saw you 
before practice and after practice. And now that I'm around wrestling so much, and especially now that I talk to people in the community, know everything, it's so wild to think about how much more you did that we didn't see. We never thought about budgets. We never thought about travel. Like as a high school kid, you just don't think about that. Now I look at, into what some of these coaches go through and I'm like, golly, how much was he doing? You are obviously teaching phys ed, then you're coaching, then you're doing everything else, still having to coordinate travel, budgets, apparel, whatever else, things I never even thought about. Nobody does as a high school kid. Yeah, I own my own camp, the Great Lakes Wrestling Camp for 21 yep. years. We house about 200 kids. That was a S corporation business for me. I I partnered up with Jason Bovenzi, the Apex Wrestling Club. Yep. So yep. my fingers were in a lot of things. I, I tried to control everything, the camps, the clubs, the team. So yep. my guys had the best situation. So I tried to monopolize everything. So Smart. yeah, and, and the thing was, is that that's how I felt I I could do better and how my team can do better. So you just start working on things and it just becomes like an octopus. You just, your arms get into everything. So yeah, that's how I kind of worked it. I never thought of it as like, God, I'm overworking myself or man, I'm in, I was just always worried. That's why my hair is out of my head. <laughs> well, it's funny because too, like back then, even when I started my company, the difference between 2008 and now where nobody wants to work, Everybody wants the success. They want the work-life balance. They want every buzzword out there. They don't want this. Like you said, when you're starting a business, starting a program, whatever it is, it's seven days a week. It's endless sacrifice. Even now, 13 years into this company, there's times my wife and I are eating dinner and I've got all hell breaking. Those are the fire I got to put out. And she's gracious. She's just like, deal with what you have to deal with. You know, she knows the sacrifice, but it's so different because even I'm sure if you were starting your career right now, how different it would look in today's society versus the last 20, 30, 40 years. I, you know, I'd get home from practice and I'd sit down and I didn't want any wrestling questions because yeah. I was trying to get through dinner. And my wife would say something like, when are you going to talk, tell Mark Gillari to stop shooting? He can't shoot well. <laughs> and then I drop the fork. My stomach starts to go. And I go, what did I tell you not to do? Now I'm pacing around the house. I'm like, you know what? She's right. I just got to. I just got to keep him on the defense. You know what? From that point on, he never shot another high ground. I forbid it. But that's and then I'm like, oh, I said, damn, I'm not coaching well. My wife just gave me the angle on this thing. I know, but but that's the level of sacrifice it had. Um, it, it's wild. And I have you, you know we do live in such a politically correct world now. Have you had to adjust at all the things you say or how you do anything? Are you pretty much just like, I just always say when I get, I get done talking, I'm going to get arrested for this one. <laughs> no, I haven't changed. I love it. <laughs> Maybe it's rolled back slightly 5%, but I always say I'm going to get arrested for this one. Oh, I, I still regurgitate some of the lines. Um, and, and it's funny because, again, like me, Dan Tomas, and some others, we say these things, and at least there's a mutual bond. There's an understanding. But if I'm walking around the house just saying it, and my wife hears it, and my wife hears me saying, why are you saying roll over like a $3 whore? <laughs> like, you don't understand. Like, it, it's just a thing from 20 years ago. But Oh, yeah, I say that. You, what, are you going to roll over for two-fingered half? I mean, come on. <laughs> right. And it, it's so funny because like we, we had such a good time. Uh, it's it's truly one of the best times of my life. Like 
being a part of that program and even this podcast, this podcast has had every top level wrestler from Jordan Burroughs, Cal Sanderson, Kyle Snyder, David Taylor, doesn't matter. They've all been on here. And, you know, I've formulated a lot of friendships with Jordan Burroughs and Cal and others. And if you didn't get me into wrestling, none of that happens. And I told my wife that the other day, I'm like, you know, it's so funny how much of in, in this 136 episodes in now to this podcast and things I'm able to do. It's funny. You talk about coaching trees on the college level where you're like, okay, now you're seeing Chenzo go to Stanford and Cal's got this coaching tree of Molinaro at, at Arizona. And you see it on a coaching level, but it's funny when you start really thinking about a coach and how it breaks down to you getting me into wrestling, you coaching me. And now this podcast exists. That doesn't happen. If you're not squeezing my ear in seventh grade saying, come to practice. <laughs> you had the best set of ears I could squeeze. I remember one of my favorites. <laughs> call you in the office, start twisting it all. They all get all red and illuminated. Yeah, it's the truth. But you know what you remember though, Justin, you still remember the good times, even yeah. though it was a struggle because the laugh, the, the camaraderie is still what you and Tommaso thought. You might be talking about how hard things were here and there, but the fact that you're proud to be part of that and what you did, put the work in yep. and yeah, we put the work in and just the good times. And, and yep. it's funny how that always surfaces. It's all about the good times and the laughs and the statements and the this and the that. I know. So <clears throat> that's what I'm real happy to hear that. Cause I always thought I was such an ogre at times that, you know, just no, cracking the whip. It, it was a balance. I think you're so beloved in the community because of that balance of people knew it was, out of love for your athletes, love for the program, love for the community. Not a single person, even people who didn't wrestle, thought, oh, he's just a crazy coach or, oh, he's just whatever. It was always like, I got to get closer to this guy. I got to get around this guy. And I think a lot of us did that as athletes. We wanted to be closer to you because I think you had that balance. You had that balance of um, obviously success, but also there was that fear where I think, I see some coaches that want to want to be friends with their athletes more than they want to be their coach. And I think if you're coaching really good kids, it's a dangerous position to be in that you want to be friends with them because they got to revere you. And I think you did a good balance of that. So I don't think you're an ogre. Well, I, if, if someone asked to describe myself, I was a tyrant with a, with a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's about sums it up in a sentence. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think it was a good, it was a good level because there was the balance. Like I said, like the, I remember riding in your Jeep to the Candago duel and it's little things. And that was 20 years ago, 19 years ago. And it's still vivid like that. So I, I'm grateful. So I know there's probably a lot of local people listening. Spencer Brockport, Spencer alumni. Is there anything anybody can do for Brockport? Is there fundraisers, donations, apparel? Is there anything that people who want to support you, the program can do? Well, we, we want is just project ourselves as an opportunity to continue their wrestling career. Yeah. Uh, it's a great college. It's got a great nursing program. We have a guy on our team, Kakamis, Matt Kakamis, who he's one of the top guys in the country at 25. He was a former state champ from Wayne. He's in that program. We have a very good educational program, business program. And we, we have a great wrestling program. It's got, it, it, it's a very, very strong tradition there. And it'd be a great opportunity for an athlete to go get a good education for relatively cheap 
and they have a good wrestling experience. So we just want people to realize what's in their backyard. Um, and if they can come out and support the team when they check out the schedule, that would be great. When's the schedule but, come out? It should be out pretty soon. We've had some transition right now in our athletic department and uh, people leaving, retiring. So I think we'll, you're a few weeks behind everything, especially when I went over to human resource the other day. It was a nightmare. But <laughs> the, uh, it's like a ghost town. Oh, anyway, I can imagine. Yeah. So once that comes out, come out and watch some matches and et cetera. We, we'll, we have a pretty good product we're putting out there. And they, they work hard and they're, they're on top of things. So uh, we got to see how much better they got in a year. I'm worried. Because some of these guys don't look like they didn't have a mirror in their house. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. And it's funny because that's exactly what you're saying. Worrying for the next year. It's that time of year. It's September. It's time to worry about the next year. Hey, buddy, don't you want to look appealing to the opposite sex? I mean, come on. <laughs> you got a dad bod at 21. I mean, come on. I, I remember know. standing online. You know, I remember being at the Binghamton Open. And Lehigh's there. And Rutgers is there. This is like 10 years ago. And... Our team was, you know, okay, a mediocre team. But everybody should have been down a weight class. It's like Division One. Everybody <laughs> so I'm going, look at that guy's body. Look at your body. I go, I go I'm about to take my shirt off because I look pretty good. <laughs> a dad bought at 21. That's an instant classic. Oh, man. Really? Well, I'm definitely going to, I know my wife and I are going to get to some dual meets. We're excited. I think it's super important. I know there's a lot of love and support for the big programs, the Penn States, the D one programs, oh, yeah. but I, you know, I think it's equally, equally important. Even for myself, I want to start trying to support the local clubs, be more involved in the local community. So I, I'm definitely going to get to a duel. I'm probably going to text you and come to a practice, maybe get my oh, bubble yeah. up. It's probably good for me. I mean, you close your eyes and you say, I've heard this before. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, Coach Jay, thank you for coming on the podcast. Any final words before I let you go today? Well, it's a great honor. And, and again, I'm very, very proud of you. Thank I'm you. I'm proud of the podcast. This is, this is something that is great for wrestling, as I suggested. I listen to the stuff and uh, it, it's excellent. You have to listen to other people's ups and downs. And you, these guys are very, very poignant. They're very, very honest about it. Yeah. And, you know, just bringing coaches in and athletes, it's been great. And whenever you illuminate wrestling and get it more, get it out there more, you know, people are going to take notice. Yeah. And uh, I said, you've done great things. Keep it up. Proud of you. Thank You're a you. Spence Port Ranger. God bless you. I know. I got to get some new Spence Port Ranger wrestling gear. It's, I got David Carr switching on right now. We got to get some Spence well, Port, some Brockport gear. Yeah, I got to get you that Brockport shirt. You still take a medium, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if I we'll come, in, maybe if I come into practice and get uh get rid of this dad bod. I don't even have kids yet. I got the dad bod. Like I have four of them. Don't worry, you'll see enough dad bods in there. <laughs> awesome, coach. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Well, thank you again for, for having me. God bless you. You're doing a great job. Thank you. And the beat goes on.